First Peter chapter four, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed to you, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if we read down a couple verses, uh, we see that Peter instructs his readers to uh, greet another, one another with a, a holy kiss or a kiss of love. So uh, why don't you turn to the... Just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, that was a cultural thing. So uh, There once was a young man in the church whose pastor was going on vacation. Uh, this young man was privileged, given the privilege of giving the morning message. He was so nervous, he asked his pastor, what should, what should he preach about? pastor's response was simple yet profound. He said two things. He said, preach about God and preach about 20 minutes. That young man is me. So, my time begins now. Um, this morning, I want to focus on 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, well, 6 and 7. But verse 7 says, 
casting all your care, or if you're holding a New American Standard uh, translation, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, anxiety is the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults ages 18 and older in the United States. As we read Peter's letter, we may find out, and here's my point, that we may be rather anxious because we're not as humble as we should be. So let's first look at the context in which Peter is addressing his reader's anxiety. A group of scattered Christians in various parts of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia just beginning to understand and wrestle with what the apostles were teaching. As they did so, they were surrounded by a political environment that was absolutely hostile to them. Christians then were regarded as antisocial nuisances. The Romans thought they were going into rooms and committing cannibalism. They did not understand the celebration of the Lord's Supper, or as we would call it, communion. They were regarded as just annoying. And because of this, they were living under the impending possibility of persecution. And so we know that when Peter wrote this letter, it was under the reign of Nero, who literally lit the streets of Rome by impaling Christians on stakes, covering them in oil, and lighting them on fire. So the Christians lived every day with the thought that at any moment they could be next. They thought about the sufferings that their children and their grandchildren would experience. They must have had breakfast in the morning and thought to themselves, if this Roman environment gets any worse, I can't imagine what it will be for our children. And God forbid that there should be any grandchildren born into this, this horrible world. Those who were engaged probably worried that they wouldn't live long enough to know the joys of marriage. Those who were single probably worried about whether they would ever find a life's partner. Those who were in business probably worried whether someone would come and close them down. So it's 20 centuries have passed. And it all sounds very familiar. What do we worry about? Our lives, our families, our future, our businesses, our hopes, our dreams, the future of our children, the potential of our grandchildren. We worry about almost everything. We worry about crowds. We worry about being alone. We worry about failure and what it might mean. We worry about success and its implications. Some of us worry that the only music that we like on the radio is considered oldies. We worry about terrorist attacks. We worry about going to war with Iraq. We worry about the coronavirus. We worry about losing our retirement funds. We worry about being in the dark. We worry about being up high. We worry about being down low. We worry about being in, in, in closed spaces. We worry about flying. We worry about not being able to fly. And sometimes it gets very dark. Like one person said, I worry that if olive oil comes from olives and peanut oil comes from peanuts, where does baby oil come from? Anxiety is not something that I think we're unfamiliar with. The words in verse 7 for care or anxiety comes from the Greek word that implies a divided mind. If you come on Wednesday nights, you know that Elena and I pray a lot for anxiety. So I asked Elena if she could describe how anxiety makes her feel in a few short, simple sentences. She came up with three. One, she said, appearing so calm on the outside, but 
losing your mind on the inside. Two, she said, watching your life fall apart before your very eyes and not being able to do anything about it. She said, simply put, you feel like you're losing your mind, a mind divided. It's as though our brain is going in every direction because of implications from our past and the possibilities of our future. And so we're unable to live in the present. I don't think I need to say anything else about anxiety. I think we can all identify with it. The real issue is, how do we deal with it? That brings us to the action that Peter describes, casting all our anxieties on God. Notice what he didn't say. He did not call us to deny the existence of our anxiety. He calls us to realism about it. Now, I did ask Elena for permission to tell a little bit about our story, and she's not here anyway, so... Oh, she's right there. Never mind. (laughs) Well, here we go. So, Elena struggled with anxiety for a while. And uh, it started when she was younger, but it would come on and then go away. And, And so she just thought, you know, maybe it'd just go away. As time goes on, life gets more complicated and the anxiety grows worse. And anxiety can do a lot to you. I mean, two, a month before our wedding, she got shingles on her face. The last thing you want on your face a month before your wedding. Worry can do crazy things to your body. You can worry an ulcer in your stomach. What we first tried to do with it is tried to ignore it, hoping that it would go away. And that's a lot like, you know, like a, a prisoner, a ball and chain. You have this chain around your ankle and there's a big heavy ball so you can't run away. And anxiety is like that ball and we try to bury it into the ground and we cover it with dirt and pretend it's not there. We go to walk away and we fall flat on our faces after five feet. That's a lot like what we tried to do. And so, and it was hard. It's hard to, to be a good spouse, a loving husband, the way Christ calls you to love your wife. And I mean, you just don't have words in the moment. I felt like Job's friends trying to comfort Job or try to help him. It's just, I did more harm than good. And so, if we go anywhere other than the Bible, we do more harm than good. And so, the word casting here in verse 7 is the same word used in Luke 19 when, when people threw their own garments on the colt that Jesus rode on his entry into Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. So for you horse lovers out there, which I know there are a few, it's like throwing a saddle on the horse and putting the full weight of your anxiety on there. Now if you're like me and you don't like horses, another illustration might be a garbage man. You never see a garbage man coming over to your trash, taking a little piece, going back over the truck, placing it on Going back over. No, he takes the trash and wham! He throws the full weight, just casts it into the garbage truck. And that's the word in 1 Peter 5, 7. That is the action we are to take with our anxiety. To throw it. Not to throw it up in the air, or throw it into oblivion, or throw it on your spouse or your children. It's But rather, throw it on the Lord. Now it is important to understand this. That is, casting is not, and this is very important, okay? Casting is not an imperative, but it is a present participle. My, my, you say. That's very interesting. 
It is interesting. Let me explain. It's interesting because it connects verses 6 and 7, where the imperative is humble yourselves, and what happens when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand? It transforms the way we deal with everything, including, but not only, our anxiety. So as we humble ourselves under God, then we are able to cast all our anxieties upon Him, if you will. Humility is the root, and casting is the fruit. As we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, then the result will be our full reliance upon His care and protection. So let's think this through. I got this illustration from Alistair Beck. If you fly in an airplane and you're anxious all the time, in the midst of everything that is taking place, at least this is taking place in part. Somehow, as you or I sit back there on that seat, we are making some kind of assumption in your mind that the person who is the pilot may not really know what they're doing. Despite the fact that we know nothing about what is going on, we can spend the whole journey anxiety-ridden on the basis of the fact that we are not prepared to humble ourselves to the point where we say, this matter is beyond me, this journey is far-reaching, This individual has all the training, and I need to do what he or she said. What does he say? Ladies and gentlemen, we have now reached our climbing altitude of 29,000 feet. We will speak to you later in the journey. But for now, we want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. So what are you going to do? Are you going to try to fly it yourself from 23B? Or are you going to humble yourself under the pilot's instructions? This is an illustration of what God is saying to us as we live our lives. He says, I am the one who cares for you. I know who your children are. I know the circumstances that you're in. I know about your boss. I know about your singleness. I know about your fears of illnesses. I know all of this, he says. My instruction to you is to humble yourselves. Because our unwillingness to humble ourselves means that we seek to take matters into our own hands. And when we take matters into our own hands and we consume ourselves with worry, we reveal in our hearts that we think we know how to run our lives better than God does. Let me illustrate with a story from Ravi Zacharias. In 1971, he was in Vietnam with a 17-year-old man named Hin, H-I-N. At least I think that's how you spell it. Hin was his interpreter, and Ravi in his 20s, preaching the gospel to U.S. soldiers and in military hospitals, POW camps, flying from city to city for several months. Nearly two decades passed, and Ravi hadn't heard anything from Hin. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a telephone call came. The voice on the line said, Brother Ravi? He recognized it was his accent. So he said, Hin, is that you? He said, yes, then chatted. Ravi said, where are you? Hin said, Los Angeles. Do you have time to talk? Ravi said, I've got plenty of time. After this, Hin told him the story. After the communists took over in Vietnam, he was arrested and put into prison where they tried to knock faith in God out of him. They worked so hard and hard to rebuild Marxism into him. Finally, one day he said, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. 
He said, Ravi, you came to mind. Your messages. How I ended some of those messages on my knees. And how I was deciding that God maybe did not exist. I told myself, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm not going to pray at all. I got up in the morning and was, and was assigned the most horrible job in the prison. Latrine duty. I was starting to clean the latrines and as I was cleaning the latrines, I saw a little bin with wet paper in it and suddenly I thought I saw English on one of those papers. I hadn't read English for 18 months. Everything was in Vietnamese or French that was given to us. He said, I took that paper. There was excrement on it. I washed it off, put it in my pocket. I just wanted to read English. I got back that night. Everyone in my room had fallen asleep. I took out my flashlight and focused it on that piece of paper which was still damp. On the top right-hand corner, I saw Romans 8.28. I started to read, And all things work together for good to them that love God, that are called according to His purposes. He said, Brother Ravi, I wept and I wept and I wept. I couldn't stop weeping. He said, God, you didn't let me out of your reach for one day. I promised I would not pray today, but the day has not ended. And you have spoken to me in this paper that was used as toilet paper. He said, I went to the commanding officer the next morning and said, can you give me latrine duty again today, please? He said, every day I was collecting a page from the New Testament. The commanding officer had been given a Bible by somebody. He was using it as toilet paper, throwing it in the bin. I was washing it and having my devotions at the end of each day. Finally, he and several others managed to build a raft and escape. When four Viet Cong came to him and said, are you planning to escape? He said, I lied to them and said, no, and they left. After they left, I said to myself, here I go again, trying to build my own life on my own terms. I lied, God. He said, I prayed a prayer I hoped would never be answered. I said, God, if you want me to tell the truth, bring them back before we set sail. There were 53 of them who were planning to escape. Minutes before their departure, four Viet Cong came, grabbed him by the collar, ran him against the wall, and said, we've heard you're trying to escape. Is this true? He said, yes. What are you going to do? Put me back in jail? He said, no. We want to go with you. They got in, onto the high seas and were nearly drowned, but these four men were trained in skippering abilities and brought them safely to Thailand. He then came to the United States, finished his MBA at Berkeley, and, t- and today is serving the Lord in the West Coast. No matter how far God seems... Don't ever forget that His love is never too far to reach you in your darkest moment. Ladies and gentlemen, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety on Him, for He cares for you. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life or an inch to your stature? Our hearts beat around 115,000 times a day. What control do we have over that? Every moment is a gift from God. Finally, with this I close. John 14, 6. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you show up to heaven and you try to get in by your own merit, your own works, using your own name, the angel there is going to say, sorry, that don't work here. If you show up and you say, well, you use any, any name, a religion that says you got to be good enough and you might earn your way into heaven. You show up and you say, well, I belong to Buddha. The angel's going to say, sorry, that name don't work here. You show up and say, well, 
I belong to Muhammad. He's going to say, nah, that name don't work here either. You show up and you say, I belong to Joseph Smith, or I belong to, to Dalai Lama, or I belong to Rabbi So-So. You even show up and you say, I belong to Pastor Bill. That angel's going to look at you and say, sorry, that name doesn't work here. If you humble yourself under God and say, I belong to Jesus Christ, that angel will look at you and say, well, brother, why didn't you say so? Sister, why didn't you say so? Get on in here. Either Jesus will pay for your sins if you trust in him to have paid for them on the cross, or you will pay for them yourselves. Let's pray. Your Father, thank you for today. Lord, I, I just ask that, that you would uh, work on our hearts, and, uh, make us into the people that you want us to be. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus, who, who is willing to suffer in place of us for our sins, for, for our wrongdoings. And so, Lord, we trust you. And I pray that if there's anyone in here who hasn't put their full trust in God for paying for any wrong things on that cross, that they would do that today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's all in the name of Jesus. Amen.